Welcome to the Abbey Talks podcast series with myself, Lisa Farley, coordinator of the talk series here at the Abbey. For last orders at the dockside, playing out in the Abbey stage, I asked writer Neve Gleeson to take over at the helm for a series of mini podcasts about life in the docks. You won't hear Neve's voice within these recordings. We decided to let the dockers and the docker's daughter do the talking. And talk they do. About a way of life, of a time gone by, of hardship, of friendship, of family and friction. All the good, the bad, the long and the short of it. Enjoy this podcast. Uh, my name is Paddy Nevins. I worked on the docks for 48 years. I remember the first day that I uh, started on the docks and it was a bit of a horror show. I didn't understand the system, the employment, the rates, men getting picked out. When everybody was standing in the raid in the particular morning, my first morning, lots of men were standing in the raid. Four men there called Nevin. I thought it was me, but it wasn't me. And I walked out, and this man, big Jack Guyden, was, he was the head foreman there. And he says to me, Have you got a button? <laughs> and I was looking at him, No, I didn't have a button, so I had to get back into the raid. Most embarrassing. So without a button, you had to wait till all the button men were employed, and then uh, man then start picking out the non-button men, as we were known. So that was uh, my introduction to the docks on that particular day. But I spent 48 years on it, so I must have enjoyed it for to stay there so long. As in everything, the docks just kept changing year after year. The technology that took over, you had to stay, try and stay in touch with the, the different systems learning how to, from using a bike hook or a cargo hook, to learning how to drive machines, forklift trucks, cranes, whatever was going, to give yourself a better chance of getting employed. The more skills you had, the better chance you had of getting a living. But if you just depended on, you know, the not driving anything and just hoping for the best, wasn't a good idea. Well, I lived in Ringsend, pretty close to the docks. Only you could look across at the ships, you know, you can out your front door and you, you, could, you could look across at the, and the cottages in Ringsend. That's where they lived. Um, as, a, as a young lad, I went to work at 14 years of age in the Hamill Lane, which was just around the corner. Um, it was a well-known company down there. They used to scrap ships. and So I, I was employed as, at 14 as a tea boy for making the tea. So when, at 16, then you were, that was it, you were laid off. And so went over to the docks with the lads that I hung around with and got jobs here and there. You know, when the, when the work was plentiful, you'd get a bit of work. But then when the work got slack, you know, you just, you were messing around in the snooker hall or whatever, and you were passing the time. So yes, that's, uh, that's how I ended up on the docks with, the, with the, uh, the lads that I hung around with and grew up with, went to school with. It was, it was very difficult, even, even in the, uh, it was okay when there was plenty of work. There was a buttonman. The buttonman, say, when the work started to pick up on the docks, the buttonman got very choosy. And there were certain jobs that he wouldn't, they wouldn't go to. So a non-buttonman would be, you know, you, you take whatever was there. And particularly, say, maybe the big Russian ships would come in with timber. And you could be there for three or four weeks to be tied out the timber on the ship and a button man wouldn't go near it because they were more or less going to the park jobs day here, day there and you'd probably get more in a day or two than what you what you get working the Russian ship for the week. And the Russian ships would be 
eight to five, there'd be no overtime on that, you know, and you'd be just getting the minimum. Because of the, the way the docks worked, the minimum wage wasn't, wasn't great. What you were depending on was the overtime and your bonus. They, you were getting more in overtime and your bonus than you were in your basic. So if, you're, if you were just dependent on the basic pay, you come out with very little at the end of the week. So the, the button men were fairly choosy. They didn't go to a lot of particular jobs that they, they would never go to. So it made more for the button man was happy enough to, to go and get a week's wages. Behind the button men, like you say, it was, it was a, there was always arguments about it, you know. There was a kind of a, a bad feeling there because they, they were kind of being used for to pick up the, the jobs that no one else would do, really. But then when the casualisation came in, 1971, kind of sorted that out, you were, you were employed on a rotational system. It was a lot better than you, uh, the button was done away with then and everybody was the same. And you were picked out on a, a rotational system. You were work today, if there was plenty of work today, it was okay, everybody working. But if it was the days that there was, no, uh, there was little work, you go to work one day and then you finish that job and the guys that hadn't been working they, they'd follow on the, any ships that was working then the next day, any fresh work that would come into the port. I made the application in, when the casualisation, when you were talking about the casualisation and you were talking about the amount of men that was going to be included in the casualisation, there was all going to be button men and the, the non-button men would be done away with, there'd be no non-button men, so you were saying, you know, they're going to hang around for this. There was a few lads went to Australia. I'd done the, I'd done the application for to go to Australia. And I just hung on to see what they actually fit into the numbers that they had. And I did, so instead it didn't, didn't go away. You know, it could have been in Australia now instead of here. <laughs> I had one, one child at the time and that, you know, so wife and... Uh, but I enjoyed, I enjoyed the work on the docks. It was always good. It was good, great camaraderie and great cracking that, and the guys you worked with. It was, Excellent. I think even in the button men were quite happy with the casualisation because their sons were non-button men as well. And their brothers, you know, there was a whole mix, mixture of families. There was a lot of problems now within the casualisation, but it was a lot better than, than the, uh, the previous situation where you were standing in a raid each morning, looking up at their face. And with the button, with the non-button men too, you kind of had to prove yourself. I mean, you had to Work, get, a, get a name to be a worker because uh, the foreman wasn't going to employ his sons and all that, you know, and his nephews. And they, they were there whether they work or not. Sometimes you had to do their work, but if you didn't make a name for yourself, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get employed. But if you become known as, as a kind of a skilled worker, they, the foreman then, he could go off and have his few drinks and do what he wanted to do. He wouldn't be standing over the hatch looking in, you know, making sure the work was going ahead. He'd, he'd know his gang. He'd be at their employing, get used to the, the non-button men that he wanted to employ. Those particular foremen had particular non-button men that he'd always trying to make sure that he'd employ because the, the ship would be discharged on time and this type of thing and that, you know, he wouldn't have any great problems. So that was the, uh, say, the non-button man's life. <laughs> well, I, I found that meat boats were, were the hardest job. Because, uh, they were, you were working in a fridge you might come out in the summer, more, summer with, you know, just your ordinary clothes and you might get a job at a, a meat boat and you get into the hatch and it'd be freeze, 
to say to be sent to the night. Yes, them freezes off. And he'd say, yes, the freezes is off. But to, to me, to be coming in and to be uh, box meat. He used to go to Germany for the American the American troops. He used to be the best of meat. And uh, it was always a little sample going on anyway. <laughs> but they, they were hard jobs because you were, you were these boxes, say, boxes of meat now were about to have the size of, nearly, well, three quarters the size of the table. There'd be 50 boxes on, on each ice coming in a ton. And there'd be, say, six men in the hatch. And be the one, you drop one tray, that one, two men would be getting there, stripping there, 50. Then another heist would come in and be another 50 for them, another 50 for you. And you had to walk back. You might be walking, say, maybe three or four times the length of the room to stack the, the boxes of meat. Because the, the, the fridge ships, the openings in them was very small, obviously for refrigeration purposes. But you'd be, this is what you'd be doing all day, you'd be walking back and then you'd be standing up on the meat to try and go up, you know, this, these boxes, maybe six stone in them. And you'd be, this is what you'd be doing all day and you'd be wringing wet and that, you know, and you'd be freezing cold. You'd be, uh, maybe at dinner time, you'd, when you get a break, you'd get some extra gear. Then again, the company started, th their contribution then at one stage was to give you an apron so your clothes wouldn't get wet. <laughs> But you'd be still freezing cold and it'd be like when you get up out of the hatch on a winter's day, it'd be like getting up into the summer, you know. Be, uh, that was the refrigeration ships and they, they, were, they were hard, they were hard work. And no buttonmen ever went to them, they kept clear, clear of them. Two thirds of the cargoes was in the wings of ships. You had only one third, say, in the, in the opening where you look down into a hatch, That's, but most of the cargo would be in the wings. And that had to be manhandled out. So you'd be, you'd be working, you'd be trying to uh, get the crane hook, drag it in as far as you can under the wings, so you wouldn't be carrying the baggage right out to the square. But you, you had to, you know, you still had to throw the bags into, into, into a sling all the time. Um, it could be eight o'clock at night, 12 stone bags, working all day. It was, uh, you got up tired at the end of the day. You maybe worked at eight o'clock that night. And, but you, you'd always appreciate the overtime because you didn't know, you took up the work while it was there, you didn't know whether you were going to be working the next day or not, you know, when that ship finished. You couldn't, you could never refuse overtime because if you refused, you wouldn't get, you wouldn't get employed because it, they couldn't rely on you, say, finishing the ship or being there because once you were there in the ship, you couldn't be, say, oh, I'll have a date tonight and going off on a date. There was, there was no one to replace you. The, the job had more or less stuff, so you, you, you couldn't, you had to stay there and, you know, put up with all the abuse when you got home or when you were dating, getting, getting, standing somebody up and all this type of thing and that, you know, you went to a dance the following weekend, you, you bastard, you, oh, I've been waiting for you. Oh, Jesus, you know, there was always little things like that. And it was always, it always seemed to be, uh, you know, you couldn't even be working for days and then when you had something to do, Eight that night or something like that, you'd be working at 10 o'clock and no one would believe. And I mean, the communication, you, you couldn't get, there's no mobile phones and there was no phones really on the docks even. If you wanted to make a phone call, you had to maybe go into the office and ask the, and the offices would be more or less locked up. They went off at five o'clock, so there's no way you were going to, you may as well be in the Antarctic or somewhere, you, you know, you couldn't communicate with anybody. 
just uh, get up out of the hatch and make your way home. No matter what kind of a dirty job it was, you'd be trying to get a bus and people would be looking at you, you know, moving away from you. It was difficult at times, but it was, it was a good life. <laughs> we were probably better off asking her that question. <laughs> so you probably cope with great difficulty, you know, sometimes she might have a dinner ready and a particular job, you could be working around the, the ocean pier and you wouldn't be able to get home for your dinner. And that would be just left there for, you could be coming in at 10 o'clock that night. At the same, you know, it would be in at five or it would be in at dinner time. And you would, you, you know, then when you come in, maybe after finishing the ship at 10 o'clock, after 10 you could be in at dinner time for your dinner. And no communication at all. Then she, she, she wouldn't believe, why are you at the being till this hour? You couldn't be working late till this hour and all this type of thing. You know? So, uh, money wise, you try, to, you try to average out your money that you give her the same whether you were working or you weren't working. So you kind of get a system and then obviously if you were working late every night you couldn't just give her the, the basic wage, you know. So you give her some extra money and she'd probably, if she was a good manager, she'd, she'd put, put it by while the work was good. And then, you know, if the, if, obviously if the kids needed any clothes or whatever they needed, shoes, clothes or anything, and she maybe stuck up with different things while the while the work was good. And obviously you had to pay the rent had to be paid and you know, different things had to be work was good or bad, you had to still pay our bills. You know, going to the labour didn't you know, uh, getting the day here and not in the labour. The labour was a different complicated system. You know, you had to you had to have three and six all the time. You could be breaking your claim and you get nothing on the labour, there'd be no work. So I had to try and manage that and manage our money and well she done the you know, the managing of the money. You couldn't be coming in drunk every night and not the not the modern women, it was probably the generation before me probably might have got away with her right. the women had to put up with that. You had to be fair, you couldn't uh, abuse say your family in relation to drinking all your money and not uh, not providing for the house and the, like I said, different different generation. <laughs> not to say I was I wasn't an angel, but it, it just uh, it didn't uh, it didn't know everything that was going on. But it just uh, enough to keep a good uh, healthy atmosphere. <laughs> the health and safety was non-existent. You know, I, I can't believe there wasn't more men killed or injured. With the, with the situation because the equipment that you were asked to use, there was no, there was no, uh, later on it became the standard that the, the, the equipment had to be up to, up to scratch, you know, but the, the, the gear that we were using was, um, what you were asked to do with the equipment that you were using was, uh, was mad. So there was, it took a long time for the, uh, for the improve the, the safety conditions. And they didn't want to know. They, they, all they were interested in was uh, getting the getting the ship discharged and getting the ship to sea. So if you if you were if you were kicking uh, off for health and safety reasons, you know, you did you'd lose work over it. You put up with that, but then it, there was things that you wouldn't put up with, you know, you had to stand up and be counted, you know. And yeah, there was there was uh, men died over had equipment and been asked to do things that they should have refused to do 
but they, they don't think and, you know, but you do these things too many times, you know, it's a, uh, it wouldn't say, you know, it could be working different jobs and you'd hear, you'd hear something happening at some other job. And it wouldn't surprise you, you know, because it was, the docker was a dangerous place to work. The mere fact of being a docker was, you were never taught, you depended on your workmates to, you know, when you were, when you were only starting to keep you safe, to make sure that you, you didn't do something, walk out when you should be, you know, walk out under a heist, you know, or do, do something silly. So, you, you depended on your you depended on your workmate all the time to, to look at you, but you you got a kind of a sixth sense then that to you know to be looking around and watching what was going on, particularly timber boats, bundled timber, where they were, they were uh, it was very heavy timber from South Africa, and the wires uh, you didn't know what the wires was safe to lift, so this this was heavy stuff, and you you, you know it was uh, sometimes. You'd hear the scream, stand in below, where the wire might break on the way out, and the stuff would all come, there'd be timber splattered all over the place. But when you'd hear, stand in, you were running into the, into the wings of the ship, you know, to get out of the way. Health and safety was always, was always a problem. Well, when there, when there was a death, it was kind of the, in the casualization, it, it went in alphabetical order. So the A's, B's, C's, you know, all the uh, dials and burns and that they'd be, Start and then they go up along. And you were more or less working with the same men all the time. So if there was a death within that group, there'd be allowances made for, uh, for the gang to, to go to the church and the funeral. And there was always a, a collection for a few weeks. Maybe everybody had, uh, there was an understood thing that there'd be a fiver stuff for a month, earlier wages for the, uh, for the widow and the kids for funeral expenses and all this type of thing. Depends on the circumstances of the family, how long the collection went on for, could on for a couple of months, but there was always uh, something there for, because there'd be very little coming from the, from the company in the, in the immediate, you know. If you died on the job, there was a four years debt and service, right, but that'd be way down the road started off at maybe a year's debt and service at the time. So there, was, there, wasn't, there wouldn't have been a whole lot of backup there for the man's family. That's all it was, uh, there was always, a, everybody, it wasn't just the men in the gang contributed, it was all, all the whole workforce now contributed to the collection for the, for the man's family for, for maybe a month or two. After the funeral, they wouldn't go back to work. They, they go to a certain pub where, where the lad drank and there'd be a good session there. Couldn't good send off. <laughs> That's what I mean about the the, the bond with with the men. And even the employer understood that uh, there'd be no work done today. You know, that all the lads at a funeral and that. You know, it was, it was an accepted thing. You know, sometimes it wouldn't be wouldn't be on the docks at a man at die. Could be out sick for a period of time. And you know, strange. Even when a, if a man's wife died. You know, the gang would always make allowances for him, you'd say, go home early or maybe get a few hours off during the day and you'd do the extra work so kids coming from school, that he'd be there for the kids coming from school and that, you know. And if his work would be done, he'd come back when he'd do what he had to do, then he'd come back to work and carry on and that, you know. It's, there was always allowances made for between the men themselves for to, to, to make the job work away and make sure that the person could uh, do what he had to do.
I think I was nearly the last. I remember the last lot of men that went. There was only two of us dead, a lad named Sean Melhorn and myself. Uh, I come back after, you know, I went on holidays and then the redundancy happened, it was about 120 men. I went back to the canteen after the holidays and place in darkness. Um, I went in looking around and all the, it was the worst sight I'd ever seen. All the lockers were all pulled asunder. All the work gear was all spread all over the place. Where the, where the canteen itself the, uh, was all closed up, you know, where the guards used to serve in the kitchens and all that, that was all. And that, had, that had all happened on the two weeks holidays while I was away and I was standing outside the canteen waiting for someone to come along. There were some guys that said they were going to stay that didn't, at the last minute they decided they'd have enough and they, everybody went except uh, Sean Melhorn and myself, that name Sean Melhorn, and we went to work for the uh, Port Services, particular company, to us. But it was the worst, the worst experience. <laughs> really, uh, since he's what I'm going to do and I should have took the redundancy. It was at an age that, what was I going to do if I left? I stay here another couple of years and then retired that job. So that's basically what happened. I said another, say, eight years, and re 65, and then retired. I used to say, get the ferry every morning, with a lot of other men. You went, I went down, they got the ferry across. But sometimes the tide would be so low that when you went down, there'd be no ferry there. So you had to make a rad, mad dash around to Hatch's Corner, around where there'd be deep, deeper water, and the ferry was always able to get in there. So it was a mad rush that you wouldn't miss the read. The, the, the difference with, uh, say, when you got into the raid, there was Palgrave Murphy's mostly employed south side men, and George Bell was mostly, say, north side. There was different companies uh, employed. Uh, maybe it was because where the foremen themselves were from, that he'd know the men from around the area who you were picking, and he'd know the, he'd know the buttonmen who were you know, that was following the company. So the, the, most men just broke off into different companies and it happened maybe that they were from the north side or, or from the south side. There were, there were times that it was, it was a mixture, you know, that it was all north side, south side men. If you were, say, working with north side men and they'd say, they'd say you know, it was possible they'd say, do you go ahead catch the ferry? Because they, they, obviously they wouldn't be catching the ferry, they'd be staying north side. So half six, the ferry finished. So you, you, if you didn't get the last ferry, you had to make your way all the way around. And you maybe had to walk or bum on a lift from someone and that, you know. There was a, I didn't see much rivalry between the north side and south side. You know, maybe if you were standing in a raid. Now, if Palgrave Morpies had no work, well, he got a lot of work off Palgrave Morpies. And say if they had no work, he'd look for work elsewhere. If another company had plenty of work, it and under raid and try and get a job there. But you'd be way down the line, you'd be picked, uh, say, and they'd be mostly north-siders who'd be going ahead of you. A button man, north-side man, and anybody, and then, then you'd be picked then. But as you got to be known, you got a little more work. You know, like I said before, if you got, if you got to know that you were prepared to work and do with do with the work uh, that you experienced, you, you got a little more work. But uh, there was no, no animosity, say, you know. You, you understood that the North Side fellas worked there and they got to work and that was it, you know. They, they understood that they hardly worked the worst standing in Panagrave Morphys because they, if George Bell had no work, 
maybe uh, looking for the leavings, you know, the same as I'd be doing on the opposite way with them and that show. So that's that's the way it went. So you knew all that and you just kind of got on with it, it was the way it was.